0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. Where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Good morning. My name is Abraham Phillip, and it's a delight to be here this morning with you. Um, As Jeremy said, um, I actually am a Ford Motor Company employee. I've been there for 29 years, and the Lord decided that um, I didn't have enough work to do, so he decided to give me a part-time job at the Romeo campus um, doing ministry up there. Um, but um, it's been a delight to be here. This is the 14th campus we've been to. Uh, Jeremy and I were talking about making little um, little Boy Scout little plaques, or plaques that you can wear, the number of campuses you've been to. I've, I've checked all four, 14 now, so this is, this is a milestone for us. But it's been a delight um, for, for me to be here. My wife uh, decided that she's only interested in listening to me once. <clears throat> she's out um, in the lounge or in your commons area. Um, so if you happen to go out that way and you see somebody either sleeping or, or doing something else, uh, that's my wife. Um, uh, but um, God has been good to us. Uh, I have three children. My oldest is uh, 24 and working as a teacher in the Troy School District. My second is Gracelyn, who is 19, second year in college. My youngest is 15, Jonathan, who, well, he's doing whatever he's doing in high school. Uh, but God has uh, blessed me to, um, to have such a wonderful family. And now um, God has called me to preach His Word. I've been at Woodside for a long time, as Jeremy has said, and um, God has called me to preach and teach His Word. And so this is a passion of mine. And um, hopefully uh, the Lord will speak to you this morning through His Word. I don't know if you have the same passion for stories that I do, but I'm a glutton for a good story. I love good stories. Whether it's a spy novel or political intrigue or science fiction or fantasy or whatever, I love good stories. Especially stories that at the end seem bleak and dark and hopeless. And just when things can't seem to possibly go any worse, it gets worse. And you're wondering, how will the heroes ever win? And just when you think that, all of a sudden something or someone shows up and turns the tide, and everything changes, and nothing remains the same. How many of you like C.S. Lewis's The Narnia Chronicles? Okay, how many of you read the book? Yeah, the rest of you watched the movies. I know, it's okay, it's all good. It's It's good, there's no judgment here. But I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One of the most beautiful books written. They really did a great job with the movie. But you know, towards the end of that, Movie, or even in the book, you know that that idea is true. The white witch has killed Aslan on the stone table, you remember, and she's gathered her troops and she's marched against Peter and, and the other creatures, the good creatures of Narnia, and they do battle, and things look bleak because Peter and his troops are outnumbered. They, the uh, witch's army is far more ferocious, much stronger. And if things looked bad, it looks worse when the witch finds Peter and enters into a duel. And they're going head to head and Peter's losing. The army is losing. The heroes are losing. And things look bleak. They're in dire straits. And you wonder, is this going to turn around? Is the darkness going to win the day? And just when you think that, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, suddenly, Aslan appears with Susie and, and Lucy, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Aslan jumps on the witch, taking her instantly. And now the battle changes. The tide turns. Peter and the good uh, creatures gather their resources, their, their, their energy, and they fight and they push and they, and they beat the forces of darkness, the forces of evil. Just when things looked bad, Aslan shows up and nothing would be the same again. Winter's over, the witch is dead, the creatures have won, Peter and his, and his siblings reign, and Anarnia will never be the same again. You know, that kind of a story isn't just true in the pages of fictional books. It's true here too. It's true in the pages of Scripture. You see, we live in the midst of darkness. And we, if you've read the Bible, the people of God have been waiting for their Messiah, the one who will come from the line of David, who will sit on the throne of the father, their father David to rule and to reign forever, this Messiah, this Christ who will come and who will set all things right, who will break the power of sin and break the power of the curse and who will set things right. But the people of God have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And it seemed like nothing was happening. And in fact, the world just seemed to get worse and worse. In fact, at the time that the story that we read takes place, the Roman Empire has the world in its iron grip. Things look bleak. Things look dark. Nothing good seems like it can happen. Certainly not the promises of God. It's into the midst of that bleak dark, hopeless situation, that the ray of God's light pierces the darkness, God sends His Son at just the right time. According to the prophecies, He sends His Son into the world to begin a change, to bring hope in the midst of darkness, to bring light in the midst of of the brokenness of our world, God sends His Son. And all of a sudden, that which looked bleak, that which looked hopeless, is no longer lost or no longer hopeless because the long-awaited King has come. But what happened as a result of Jesus coming and doing His ministry in this world? What happened as a result of the Kingdom of God coming to earth? What happens to us and how does that impact us in our life today? We begin a sermon series this morning called Thy Kingdom Come, and we're going to focus on Mark's chapters 3 through 5, and we're going to look at the answer to those questions. How does the arrival of the kingdom of God in this world through Jesus impact our lives today? And it does impact our lives today. Today, we are going to be in Mark chapter 3. But as we look, we are going to spend a few weeks in the gospel of Mark. Mark is an action-packed book. It is fast-paced, action-oriented. It's as if though Mark doesn't have any room for teaching or, or others' fluff, he's jumping from action scene to action scene to action scene, trying to cram into his short gospel everything that Jesus did over a short period of time on the earth. And so... Jesus shows up on the scene in chapter 1 and he says something that sets the agenda, the theme for the rest of the book of Mark. In fact, if you look at chapter 1 of Mark and verse 15, we find Jesus suddenly appearing on the scene and he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The wait is over. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God has come. And as a result, everything changes. Nothing will be the same again. And for the next two chapters, Mark talks about all the things that Jesus did. Jesus teaches about the kingdom. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus casts out the demons. Jesus confronts the religious leaders over and over again, very rapid, very quick. He shows a story after story of the kingdom of God come. To the earth. And as we come to chapter 3 and verse number 7, which Kyle so graciously read for us, we see a summary of all that has happened up to this point and what is happening in the life of Jesus in this story. Mark chapter 3, verse number 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from around the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon when the great crowd heard all that he was doing they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of all the crowd because of the crowd lest they crush him for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him and whenever the unclean spirits saw him they fell down before him and cried out you are the son of god And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And so Jesus arrives. He's brought the kingdom of God to earth. And all of a sudden, the crowds go wild. The crowds go crazy. They're coming from hundreds of miles away to get to Jesus. In fact, if you look at the geographical descriptions of the the regions in verses 7 and 8, there's a map on the screen for you. It's really small. Just ignore it. Um, Just needless to say, people are coming from north, south, east, and west. These are not just Jews. There's a large number of Jews in this crowd. But there's also non-Jews. There's Gentiles. There's pagans. There's all sorts of people who are clamoring to come to Jesus. In fact, the word is they're pressing on Jesus. They're crowding him. He tries to get to the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they're crowding him. They're threatening to push him over. He wants to get a getaway boat behind him just in case. Why do they want him so bad? Because he's healing people. They're living in a time when there isn't hospitals, there isn't the medical uh, options we have today. If you break your leg, you're broken. If you're sick, you're sick. There isn't medicine, there isn't antibiotics, there isn't the stuff we have today. When you're sick in that day, you're sick, you're sunk, you're done. When your body is broken, it stays broken. And so when someone shows up to heal, what do you do? You run. You run to the one who can heal. And so the crowds are going wild as they are pressing in on Jesus to receive healing. But not only do the crowds go crazy. These verses tell us that the demons go crazy. (laughs) The demons go nuts because the one who created them is here on earth. And they can't help but fall on their faces before him, pay homage to him, and declare who he is for everyone. They're going nuts because Jesus is here. You see, the arrival of Jesus in this world sent shockwaves through the physical and the spiritual realm. And nothing would be the same. Both people and demons are living in a heightened sense of expectation because the kingdom of God has come to earth. To say it another way, it's our big idea for this morning. Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Ever since sin came into this world, humanity has been broken. People are desperate and evil is at work in our world. But with the arrival of Jesus, a new day has begun, a new era has started. Nothing will be the same again. Bodies are being made whole, dark spirits are being subdued, and divided people are being brought together. And this is what happens when heaven comes down to earth. And so, if you look at the crowd that is all around people, all around Jesus, you notice as you read the Gospels that not everyone in the crowd has the same motivation for following Jesus. Some of them are there just to see what's happening so that they have a story to tell their friends when they get back home. Others are there to receive the healing that Jesus can provide. Not everyone who is following Jesus is following Jesus with clear consciences or or with the right motives. Most of these people in the crowd, they're fans. But Jesus didn't come to earth looking for fans. He came into the world looking for followers. Jesus did not come for spectators, he came for disciples. So as we continue looking at Mark chapter 3, the question I would like you to keep asking in your mind as we go through this passage is, what's so special about being a disciple of Jesus? And as you think about that question, I want to share with you three distinctions about being a disciple of Jesus. And the first is that disciples of Jesus are called out from the crowd. Disciples of Jesus are Called out from the crowd. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So Jesus tried going to the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowds. That didn't work. (laughs) They just followed him. So he decides to go up a mountain. For some reason, the mountain becomes a a breakpoint for the crowds to stop following him. And so going up on the mountain gives Jesus an opportunity now to call, to select a certain group of people out of the crowd who would be special to Him. Special in that they would have a relationship with Him in which He could pour Himself into them and teach them. The word call that's used there in verse number 13 implies an urgent invitation to accept responsibilities for a particular task, implying a new relationship to the one who does the calling. That's very different than the crowds. The crowds are clamoring for Jesus to do stuff. But Jesus, out of the crowd, selects some individuals, calls them to himself for a very particular reason. He is not here looking for fans. Fans are finicky. Fans are fickle. How many of you have watched Thursday night's Detroit Lions football game? Okay. We can see how many fans we have in the crowd, right? How many of you are excited that they won? I went nuts. For, for all intents and purposes, Detroit Lions beat a far superior team. So it's wonderful. And all of a sudden, everybody's excited. You should have been excited. You should be going crazy with everybody else because all of a sudden, all of the Detroit Lion fans are on the bandwagon. And I heard a fan say, several of them say, it's Super Bowl or bust, baby. Say what? It's the first game. But all of a sudden, fans are on the bandwagon and they're excited because the Lions have won. And all of a sudden, they're demanding the ultimate. They're already in February looking at the Super Bowl saying the Lions are going. What happens next Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks if they lose? What happens if that becomes a two or three game losing streak? What will people say? Tell me, tell me the phrase that we always say. Oh, you know that phrase. It's wonderful. The same old life. Here we go again. And what will happen? We'll stop watching. We'll stop going to the game. We'll stop cheering. Why? Fans are fickle. Because as long as the team does what the fans want, there's excitement, there's cheering, there's, there's rah-rah, we know the Lions chant, everything's great. As soon as we don't get what we want, we jump out. We check out, and we want nothing to do with it. Friends, fans are not what Jesus is looking for. Did you hear what I just said? Fans are not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for followers, and there's a huge difference. In this verse, Jesus selects some men who he could build a relationship with, who he could pour his life into so that he could use them for his glory. Now, the list of names of the people that he selected, it's coming in a few verses. But if you know anything about the people that Jesus selected, you know they are not the cream of the crop, are they? Would you agree? This is a yes and this is a no. Let's try that again. You know that they did not select the cream of the crop, right? Thank you. In fact, the people that he chose were constantly confused about who Jesus was. They were constantly bickering amongst themselves as to who's the greatest, pushing and shoving like kids, trying to find the best seat at the table. These men that Jesus selected would ultimately abandon Jesus when things got tough. And you're like, Jesus, why did you choose these men? Why did Jesus choose these men? Because he wanted to. It's the same answer for why Jesus chose you and why Jesus chose me. Now, for most of us, now there's some special ones in the crowd. I, I, I understand that. For most of us, we are not the best of the best. I know there's some of you that are the exception. I'll give you that. But like most of us are not looking at God and saying, God, you've got to have me in the kingdom because I'm awesome. What kind of a kingdom would that be without me? That's true for me. Maybe not true for Plymouth. But God chose you and God chose me not because of what we have earned or done, but simply because of His grace. Amen? He chose us the same way He chose these men because He wanted to. Out of His grace, He called them out of the crowd. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, are you a follower or are you a fan? If you don't know which side, to, which side you're on, let me give you two, a couple of questions that help you run a diagnostic to figure out if you're a fan or if you're a follower. You know, a fan will ask Jesus, Jesus, what can you do for me? A follower will ask Jesus, Jesus, what can I do? do for you? A fan will ask Jesus, Jesus, what can I get out of you? A follower will ask, Jesus, what do you want to do in and through me? Those are very different questions, would you agree? So where are you this morning based on those questions? Are you a fan Or are you a follower? Jesus did not come into this world for fans. He came for followers. And he selected these men from the crowd into a relationship with him. So that as heaven comes to earth, he can show them the glories and the splendor and the majesty of who he is. That's what he wants to do with you and me. He wants followers who he can build relationship with to show us the beauty of his majesty. Jesus' reign comes to bring the power of heaven down to earth and he's looking for followers. I hope you have listened to his call. If you're here today and you find yourself a fan, but you're hearing the whisper of God in your heart, you're hearing God pull at your heart, the reason you're feeling that is because God's calling you. He wants a relationship with you. Friends, if that's you and God's calling you, please say yes. There's no better place to be than in a relationship with Jesus. He loves you. and He's calling you. Won't you respond? Jesus brings the power of heaven down to earth looking for followers, selecting us out of the crowd. The second distinction of being a disciple of Jesus is that they spend time with Jesus. The first part of verse 14 says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Jesus selects these 12 out of the crowd, and he he wants them in a relationship. He wants them to be his disciples. But Mark tells us that ultimately, these men become the apostles. The word apostles means sent ones. Jesus is going to send them out. But before he can send them out, he calls them out of the crowd to be with him. Did you catch that? They are called not to do stuff, not to go somewhere, but to be with Jesus. To watch Him live. To listen to Him teach. To witness His miracles. To see His compassion. To watch His way of life as He prays to the Father. He calls these men to be disciples who are with Him. Now, this isn't different in other spheres of life. Discipleship is is very much a part of our world. If you're in the trades and you want to be an electrician, you first have to be a journeyman. And a journeyman has to spend a certain number of hours with a master electrician, right? It's true in the medical field. If you want to be a doctor, you go to school. And after school, you have three or four years of residency where you are training with other doctors, And you're not just learning the instructions that are spoken, you're learning by imitation. In other words, you're learning what is taught, you're learning what is caught, and you're absorbing the teacher. That's what Jesus is calling these men to do. That's what Jesus is calling you and me to do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, he's calling you and me to be disciples who spend time with him. But most of us, if we're honest we just want a list of things to do. Just give me the checklist. I just want to check things off. Like I read my Bible and I prayed and I went to life group. Like I just, just give me the checklist. We just want a list so that we can do more and try harder. But you know what? The Bible isn't set up that way. The Bible isn't about doing more and trying harder. The Bible is more concerned about our being than our doing. The Bible is more concerned about who we are than about what we accomplish. As one commentator put it, discipleship is a relationship before it is a task. A who before a what. And when you're called as a follower and as a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus' concern is that you first spend time with Him becoming what He wants you to be. But for most of us, that's hard. For most of us, myself included, we're too busy. Our to-do list is huge. If you're married, your honey-do list is enormous. It never ends. And we're so busy that we barely have time for devotions before we rush out the door to our jobs or to our chores. We don't have time in our world. We barely have time to do the things that God has called us to do. What do you mean? Spend more time with Jesus. Can I just say, this message is for me as much as it is for you, because I I have the same problem. I have two jobs, too. (laughs) It's not easy. And yet, Jesus says, before we get to the doing part, we have to focus on being who God calls us to be. And that until we are who God wants us to be, our doing will be ineffective and powerless. And so, we have a wonderful example, a great picture from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus goes to a village and goes to the house of two sisters, Mary and Martha. You know the story. But let me read for you Luke chapter 10, starting in verse number 38, this example of how this looks. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into, their, into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. Mary Martha is prioritizing the doing. She's serving. She's checking the list. She's making sure the table set, the food is out. Everything is good. She's serving. But Mary, Mary isn't serving. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. Of course, Mary's ticked off because Martha's ticked off because Mary's not helping. But which one did Jesus weigh more heavily? Which one did Jesus approve of? He says, Mary has chosen the better option, the one thing that is necessary. You see, before serving, the one thing that's necessary is sitting with Jesus. Jesus tells us that Mary chose the one thing necessary. Let me give it to you in a different context. I have a cordless drill. It's got a battery. That same ba- cordless battery operates my cordless blower and my cordless trimmer and and several other tools you guys all have some of those have you ever grabbed one of those tools and started using it and realizing you have no power because the battery is oh okay some of you have these tools I hate that because that's usually my fault that I didn't charge the battery without a charge in the battery there is no power to drive the equipment without juice there's no output You're with me? Jesus is saying the same thing. Until we are, forgive the phrase, juiced up with the power and the presence of Jesus, our output will be negligible, ineffective, powerless. We have to spend time with Jesus. We're so busy doing, 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 but I have to tell you, Jesus is saying, no, spend the time with me. Stop doing all of that. First, spend the time here. And this will allow your ministry, your service, your doing, to be effective. And so, for most of us, church activity is easy. We come to church? Check. We tithe? Check. We serve? Check. We go to life group? Check. Hey, good, I'm I'm good. I've done it all. But when was the last time (laughs) we spent an extended amount of time In silence and solitude, just enjoying the presence of Jesus and listening to his still small voice. When was the last time we sat somewhere with the word of God open, not with a devotional, nothing wrong with devotionals, but with the word of God, with the wonderful, powerful words of life. And allowed these words to soak into our soul. Allowing the Spirit to mold us and to shape us and to make us into the people God wants us to be. When was the last time we allowed God to do His thing in us before we ran off to go do things for Him? Forgive the guilt trip. It's on me too. I'm guilty just as much as you. I am no better than you. And so let me tell you that until we be in the presence of God, doing is ineffective. May I encourage you, friends, before we rush off to go do stuff, let's spend time with Jesus in his presence, allowing the Spirit of God to have his full control and dominion in our lives, because that is a distinction of a disciple of Jesus. Disciples are called out from the crowd to follow him. Disciples are those who spend time with Jesus. But thirdly, disciples are those who are given authority to minister. At the end of verse 14, we read, And he sent he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of, I don't know, Kyle, how you said that. Twice now, two services in a row. Perfect. Like, how long did you practice? Yeah. I've been going at it all week. I'm not quite sure I got it either. <clears throat> Verse 18, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The purpose of Jesus calling these men out of the crowd the purpose of having these men spend time with him is so that these men could ultimately be sent out to expand the kingdom of God. So I know you have a question, what is the kingdom of God? I'm so glad you asked. Very simply put, the kingdom of God is anywhere that Jesus rules and reigns as king. That's The kingdom of God. It's the place where forgiveness is freely found at the cross. It's the place where brokenness can be restored and healing can be found. That's the kingdom of God. These men have been called by Jesus to expand the kingdom of God into their world. And they do that with two specific actions. The first is to preach the word. That he might send them out to preach. Now, you all think about preaching about what I'm doing here this Sunday morning or what Pastor Jeremy does every other Sunday is to preach from the pulpit, but that's not what Jesus intended when he used the word preaching. The word he's using is more like what we would use for sharing the gospel, but the reason Jesus uses the word preaching and not sharing is because preaching comes with the implication of authority. That every time we share the gospel, we're not sharing our opinion, we're sharing authoritatively the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's not my opinion, that's what the Word of God says. And so we are called, we are sent out to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with as many people as will listen. Preaching is the means and the method by which God has ordained that His gospel be presented. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We are called to preach what? That the kingdom of God has come, that Jesus is king, that he died for us, that his blood has been shed, that forgiveness is available. Won't you come into a relationship with him? That is how we expand the kingdom of God. We preach the gospel. But not only do we expand the kingdom by preaching the gospel, you find it in here that Jesus gave his his disciples authority to cast out demons. Now some of you're like demons, that's just in fiction. Oh no. Demons are real. See, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This world would like you to believe that demons and the devil doesn't exist, but let me tell you, it's very, very clear that they do. Over and over again in the story of Jesus, you find him come face to face with demons and the demonic, and in every case... In every case, who wins? This is not a trick question. Who wins? Jesus! Because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he's brought the power of heaven to earth. And when the demons see him, they can't help it. They have to listen. The reason you and I are called to spend time with Jesus is so that we allow the word to soak into our soul. We allow his power to penetrate our lives so that when we go out to share the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, and with anyone who will listen, we are going into battle. It's spiritual warfare because the demons don't want you to share the gospel. The demons don't want the kingdom of God expanded. The demons want to thwart Jesus and you at every turn. But you see, until we soak in the word and soak in his power and soak in his spirit, we will not have the power to take that warfare and say, be gone in the name of Jesus and preach the gospel. Do you see how that works? Being with Jesus empowers us to present the gospel And cast out demons. That's how we expand the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters. That's why it's vitally important. That we spend the time with Jesus. So that when we do present the gospel. It's effective. And that people can hear the word of God in power. And God can do a work in their lives. To bring them into the kingdom. For his glory. That's what happens. When heaven meets earth. When Jesus arrives, when his kingdom touches down on earth, bodies are healed, demons are destroyed, divided people are brought together. But beyond being just a fan, Jesus is looking for followers. Followers who will be with him. Followers who will go out, expanding the kingdom of God. Friends, if you're here today and you're only a fan, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and a Savior, Can I invite you to accept him by faith? See, Jesus loved you and me so much that he didn't stay in heaven. He came down into this world and he died on a cross. He died on a cross not because he was guilty, but you and I were guilty. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he did it because he loved you and he loved me. Jesus died, he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again and has ascended to heaven and has taken his rightful place in heaven. But he has called you and me into a relationship. So if the Lord is calling you in your heart, if God is convicting you of your sin, if he is wooing you to himself, won't you say yes? Won't you say yes to Jesus? Start by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, would you forgive me? And Lord, won't you come into my life and won't you be the Savior and Lord of my life? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be called out of the crowd. You will be brought into a relationship with God that you didn't deserve, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. If you're a fan today, won't you become a follower of his? Brothers and sisters, those of you who know Jesus Christ, you are followers, but may I encourage you, spend time. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with His Word. Spend time soaking in the sweet and precious presence of an Almighty God who loves you. And in that power, go out and conquer and expand the kingdom so that all those you call friends and coworkers and colleagues and family can come into the kingdom for the glory of God. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and for what you have done. That you would save wretches like us. We who have no merit, we who have done nothing to deserve anything, and yet in your grace you loved us and you died for us. And there may be people this morning here who have yet to bend their knee at the cross. Would you do that in their lives today? That you would call them out of the crowd and to yourself and to your cross so that they can know the forgiveness of sins that's available free of charge as they accept you as Lord and Savior. And so for my brothers and sisters Father, may we be known as men and women who have been with Jesus, that this community and the surrounding areas might know that there is a group of people here at a Plymouth campus who love you, who have spent time with you, and who are ready to do battle for the kingdom of God. Would you equip us? Would you empower us? And would you send us out with your spirit? We'll thank you for what you have done and what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' precious, mighty, and matchless name that we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Would you stand, and let's worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself today.